cancer industry specifically. It has changed dramatically. The field of biophotonics was just getting started. The first instrument that I bought was a microwave spectrum analyzer. It's time to shed light on our universe. This is All Things Photonics, a podcast about the physical science of light. Join us as we explore the latest in lasers, optics, spectroscopy, and microscopy. Each episode, you'll hear from leading voices from across the photonics landscape. We're brought to you by Photonics Media. This is Associate Editor Joel Williams. Here are this week's top stories. Researchers at MIT built a device that they describe as a nanoscale flashlight on a chip. The device functions similarly to a spectrometer and overcomes a limitation of spectroscopy, namely size. The technology may one day find use in smartphones and other compact technologies. A team from the University of Rochester's Institute of Optics imprinted freeform optics with a metasurface, creating a technology that may chart a new course towards compact AR-VR glasses. The technology, called a metaform, is able to gather visible light rays entering the eyepiece from all directions and redirect them into the eye. A material developed and introduced by researchers at the University of Luxembourg will help robots analyze and understand their surroundings. The material relies on retroreflective spheres made from cholesteric liquid crystals, which turn into a solid state by the process of polymerization. According to the team, the material can be used to introduce tailor-made graphical information in the environment, which is invisible to humans, but easily read by robots. Researchers from UCLA have demonstrated a class of optical materials that control how heat radiation is directed from an object. The advance could improve the efficiency of energy conversion systems and enable more effective sensing and detecting technologies. And finally, Researchers from the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology developed optical tweezers coupled Raman spectroscopy that can directly probe the structural features of alpha-synuclein, an intrinsically disordered protein, or IDP, that is closely linked to Parkinson's disease. Up next, news editor Jake Saltzman speaks with Claudio Mazzali, Senior Vice President of Technology and CTO of Corning's Optical Communications Sector and a 2020 OSA elected fellow. I'm Joel Williams, and you're listening to All Things Photonics. We're joined by Senior Vice President of Technology and CTO of Corning Inc.'s Optical Communications Sector, a 2020 OSA elected fellow, and a member of the American Physical Society. Our guest has previously chaired the OSA Industry Development Associates Council, and in 2020, he served as co-chair of the FIO and LS Virtual Conference. It's our great pleasure to welcome Dr. Claudio Mazzali. Hello, Claudio. Hello, Jake. So I want to jump right into a a very pertinent question now. 2020 was a particularly challenging year um, for obvious reasons. And in optics and photonics, we saw many companies shift their operations to the the manufacture of PPE on the optics front. We saw thermal imaging companies devote their efforts to address COVID-19 and and sensing and detection. Uh, I want to ask you how these shifts, even if they're, they're temporary shifts, 
have impacted the optics and photonics community uh, as a whole as we begin to hopefully move out of the pandemic? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, well, I think that well, the pandemic, uh, of course, impacted pretty much all sectors uh, in every single corner of the of the planet, and I, I think some of them saw a, a very negative reaction. We usually talk about airlines and tourism and all that, but I think for us specifically for this community, I think the the large events, the networking events, the conferences, this is one that for sure. It's critical for our community. I think get folks getting together and exchanging ideas uh, and, you know, new ideas on optics in the combination of, you know, academia, industry, uh, all that. So those networking events, those conferences are super important for us. And, and of course, we saw an impact on that. Some organizations try to adapt to that. OSA has been adapting and making hybrid events. and But uh, that's for sure something that creates a, a little gap, I think, on the amount of conversation that was happening. But I hope that will come back soon. There are some other areas that I think optics, I think it was an opportunity for optics and photonics to show once again the importance of this of this technology, uh, the, the relevance. I mean, we saw in healthcare, we saw in different methods using optics uh, for testing, diagnosing, and, and helping in fighting the virus. I think um, it was more than, I think it was clear already for many of us uh, the importance of connectivity and network in high capable transmission systems and high bandwidth systems, broadband, uh, to keep us all together. And, uh, and I think the, the pandemic made that more real and more, more clear to everybody, right? I think uh, everybody sees now high speed or reliable connectivity, broadband connectivity almost as a, uh, as utility, right? Same way that people get electricity and water and they don't, they cannot live anymore, uh, without, uh, high speed connectivity. And of course, optics and photonics is, is behind that. And of course, other technologies that are more mature, but that were critical, uh, during the pandemic. You think about UV lighting for decontamination and things like that. So I think we are still, uh, seeing what is going to come out of this. I think some of those technologies, they prove even more relevant uh, moving forward. And some of the negatives, I hope, will get back to normal sooner than later. Uh, that's what we all pray for. I, I want to uh, ask you a question that that hopefully takes. Hopefully, your answer comes through an optical communications lens, and certainly you're equipped to to go in that direction. How will you look back on the year, um, considering the advances and the setbacks? Uh, you know, as we move out of this pandemic, it. it uh, it piques my interest how uh, those in the industry are going to regard the year, um, given the good and the bad. Yeah, it will be an unforgettable year for sure, right? Uh, first, to show how uh, fragile uh, we are, right? And I think uh, not only the pandemic, but many other things that happen uh, within the different countries and the society that we live, this year was significant. And I show our fragility I think uh, some of the institutions uh, show how fragile they can be, even the human body, uh, and, and also even how we how we collaborate and how we look to to each other as as one instead of you know separate groups, separate countries, separate teams. So I think that for me is an unfortunate eye opening uh, that we all have to to realize. But of course, I think it also uh, showed us that when we unite and think as one, we can solve problems and we can do things in different ways and we can be more agile and we can be fast. Again, uh, unity, when we forget the boundaries, right, that that helps a lot, specifically with the lens of uh, uh, telecom and optical communications. I think it was interesting because uh, first, 
we realize that this this area, this specific area, is very critical, uh, much beyond just the services that we, we keep thinking about, right? I told you a minute ago about, you know, becoming a utility, become something that people depend on, uh, something that people rely on to work, uh, to, to connect with their families, to educate their kids, to help each other, uh, right? So this is, this is just amazing. Now, throughout the year, we had to go through many barriers and surpass those barriers in different ways. Supply chain, for instance, was impacted significantly. And then there were creative ways to, to go around those things and people collaborating and working with each other. Some other things became more clear, uh, dependence on low latency in some cases, dependence on, on some other areas that uh, before we're not viewed as, as as that critical. The supply, the supply chain that I said, the supply and demand, it's it's interesting because also that brought another perspective in terms of interdependence, different countries, different regions versus what you can get uh, next where you are. That also created the need for other collaborations and people working with things that before was not possible for them, either for a business case or, I mean, when you get into a situation like a pandemic, business case becomes irrelevant, right? You think about people first, you think about your employees first, you think about safety of your employees and your families first. And, and that sometimes opens up opportunities and ideas that before there was not enough attention around them. Networking capacity uh, was an interesting thing because we saw that uh, when you have a capable infrastructure, you have more ability to react fast. And that's where optics and photonics, I think, show their, their power there, right? Today in the world, we have, we have networks of different things, right? All the way from DSL, copper cable, then truly optical networks. And it was clear that the places where the optical infrastructure, photonics and optics infrastructure was already present, it was much simpler, much easier uh, for for the carriers, for the network operators to react. And in most of the cases where they had that fiber there, where they had that uh, optical infrastructure there, uh, actually they were able to manage uh, the increasing demand without much problem. Of course, they had to eat a little bit of their of their buffer that they had at the peak, but. Once the, the media, right, once the, the way that you're transmitting the information is so capable, like, uh, you know, optical signals in fibers, lasers, etc., the ability that folks had to, to manage that demand uh, was, was there. That's why. That's why we didn't see a lot of complaints about uh, problems with bandwidth or problems in being able to connect with your Zoom meeting or your WebEx meeting. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it was... I think before we went through this here, I think people would uh, would assume that the problem would be much bigger from a network perspective. But I think because of the amount of uh, optics that's there, in my view, of course, I'm totally biased on that. <laughs> I was going to gonna say, honest. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally biased on that. But I was glad to see that, that uh, what we have been talking for a while in terms of uh, you know, being ready for the future, but also being ready for a year like this, it proved to be true, at least in the in the lenses that I have. <laughs> yeah, it's a great answer. And one of the things it touches on is this this aspect of globalization. And, and you talk about it through a fiber optics lens in particular, and telecom and datacom. Uh, and we mentioned your roles, your involvement with OSA in the introduction. And one of the most outwardly apparent, and it sounds inwardly apparent, growth areas across the, the whole of the optics and photonics landscape is this globalization of the industry. And it's a core element of OSA's mission, um, but it's also a point of pride, and, and rightfully so. Uh, I want to ask you, what do you believe has enabled the industry 
to achieve such profound uh, and evident success in globalization? Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I think you gave already half of the answer. Again, that's another piece that I'm biased because I'm a, I'm a big fan of the work that the Optical Society does, and they truly spend most of their time and in, in resources and making sure that they spread the world uh, or they spread the gospel of optics at different levels. And so the I think OSA is playing a, a very critical piece here, but not only OSA. There are other organizations and others that also help with that. But I think number one, right? When you connect academia, industry, government agencies, and some other players, that is fundamental for uh, for globalization, right? Because sometimes, um, depending on which stage the technology is, you may have a concentration in one country or a set of countries, a more developed countries, but academia is something that's more distributed. And if there are organizations, OSA and others, that do that work, and you start bringing that talent uh, from different locations, from undergrad and even before undergrad, there are even programs on high schools and middle schools bringing the the beauty of optics, the beauty of photonics to to young brains, right? That sticks there and that propagates and at that age, right? That's when you create your passion in building that talent globally, not to concentrate it in one country because that's where you have the resources or that's where you have the big companies or that's where you have the big labs, but building that talent uh, all over the world is critical for that. Uh, those folks, they move around, they may become part of those big companies and big countries, but they, they go back to their countries, they they share ideas in conference. They So that's, that's one of, I think it's, it's so critical. There is one other aspect that I think that is totally connected with the technology itself. When you think about optics, uh, and let's talk about modern optics or more recent optics, I think ability to have your light source is very critical, right? You, in the past, uh, if you think about the, you know, the 50s and, and even before that, uh, it was not that, or 60s or 70s, right, when lasers start, was not that simple or that cheap or that affordable to have a laser in, in people's labs, in universities or in other places, in the small companies, the startup companies or universities in uh, developing countries. I think when you think about the evolution of the lasers and industries like lasers for industrial applications, more high-power lasers, or even if you go to telecom, those industries, they were um, fundamental to create the volume for that technology. So now you are able to afford either a high-power laser or a telecom laser, right, a semiconductor laser at a very low cost and all the subcomponents that goes around that. So you got your fundamental pillars that you need to have a lab in university, to, to have a startup and playing with some ideas uh, that uh, you can afford that technology. I think there are, there are some big parts of the industry that help with that volume and reducing the cost, make things more affordable, and then enabling those things to start in, in many different locations. Same thing with other parts of telecom, right? You think about the volume in optical fibers and other things. That all play reducing the cost and making it more available to people around the globe to play with it, to enjoy other ideas, to try different things. And that's critical. So I think there's a there's this two perspectives here, right? One is more connecting the academia and the in the industry and uh, government and etc. OSA plays a key role there. But I think the the technology itself and how it has been evolving has made a, a big contribution for that. Other than again the beauty of optics, right? <laughs> it's a field that if you're there in optics and photonics and you see that the beauty behind all the all the phenomena, all the physical phenomena there, it's uh it gets to you and it's it's difficult to <laughs> it's difficult to escape. 
So we have this this multi-pillared approach, at least two pillars, uh, academia and industry, and you mentioned the third government. Uh, and one of the things that spins out from that, you said startups, but first maybe we should talk about entrepreneurship. What are some of the things that, that have helped entrepreneurship in optics and photonics flourish um, from early career stages to more established professionals? I think optics is, and photonics in general, at least during the last few decades, it's probably one of the areas the transition between the, the fundamental science to a real product. It's actually quite fast compared to some other, to some other technologies, right? If you, if you look into some other areas, I think it takes a little bit more embryonic time to get things from a totally new idea or a totally new concept or a totally new device to become something that you can see in a store, right? Today, when you look into the amount of optics that uh, you see in a, in a cell phone that you carry in your pocket, is almost shocking, right? It's unbelievable. And some of those technologies, they were in research papers just a few years ago. I think that fast transition between fundamental optics and photonics to, to real, real applications, uh, real world applications and, and real products that people can buy and enjoy, it's critical because that's what's, uh, that's part of what's on the brain of entrepreneurs, right? They want to bring things, uh, to the real world as quick as possible. And then you, when you connect those two pieces, uh, fundamental science, fundamental optics, to to a product in a in a quick time lapse, that's uh, that for sure helps. I do think that another thing that helps not only optics and photonics, some other areas as well, is there are some adjacent technologies that have gone through this same similar uh, fast pace evolution. You think about electronics, you think uh, uh, integrated electronics and, and software. Uh, those are I mean, they're always there. They need to be next to optics and photonics to transform those fundamental ideas into, into products. And those areas have also been evolving very quickly, right? Software in uh, integrated electronics. I think that's, uh, that's very important. The other, the third one I would say, it's probably the fact that um, people don't make, at least often or often enough in my view, they don't make a connection between optics and information. But that's uh, uh, something that I keep thinking about, right? Optics is at the core of information. How you're obtaining information through sensors or, or through different ways of gathering data that goes through optics. How you're transmitting information, and we just talk about networks and optical communications. How you're visualizing information uh, in displays and, and or different types of displays. When you think about holograms in uh, 3D and 3D video and all, all those uh, different things, and now with augmented reality and virtual reality. So optics is extremely connected to the flow of information in our society, all the way from starting getting the data, getting the information, all the way back to getting to our eyes or or any other way. And I think we are we are living this uh, information society right now that everybody talks about. I remember some time ago I I wrote a little piece about uh, I think I called it bits and photons or, or something like that. And it was uh, it was all about this right that the the photons they give this superpower to the bits. Uh, enabling the bits to become to be anywhere at any time, and I think if you if you look at the visibility of software today and what software does in our society, they got an unfair share of the visibility, right? I think everybody talks about software, everybody talks about the apps, everybody talks about the the web services or the the, the social network things and etc. Uh, that's all about bits, but those bits they become really very very powerful 
because of the photons that are carrying those bits uh, and making that uh, a global thing, making that look like it's always next to you, doesn't matter the time or the location. So I think that that connection between uh, information in optics and photonics, I, I think it's also uh, pretty important in this, together with other things that I mentioned before. Joining us is Claudio Mazzali. He's Senior Vice President of Technology and CTO of Corning Inc.'s Optical Communications Sector. So we've talked a little bit about, not to put words in your mouth, but we've talked a little bit about this um, talent pipeline, uh, only on only tangentially. Um, so I want to ask, what can we do from within the optics and photonics community to generate interest in young people and the career avenues and access to technologies and promise of the field? Yeah, as you said, we talked a little bit about, about that. I think this, this fast transition between... Uh, fundamental optics and, and products that you can see in stores or, or uh, in applications today is, is very important. I think that when I think about myself or even others, other folks that I know, right, I think there is usually two, of course there are many, but there are probably two main pathways that people pick their profession, right? And again, there are many, but let's simplify. I think you can probably separate all those into two beings, right? One is really driven by passion. The other one is really driven by, okay, where, which, which uh, job can I get a, a good salary, right? Uh, and financially, I, I think that fundamentally, at least today, right, optics and the folks that goes into optics, etc. I think they are more in the being of the passion and the, the being of, okay, this is, this is something cool. And sometimes when I say that, it's something cool. People say, well, that's a, such a naive way to look at this. Well, but you need to think about uh, the time that you're making that decision in your life, right? You're making a decision about which career uh, you're going to follow at the time where actually what matters to you is what's cool, right? <laughs> you're in that age that you're you're thinking about how can I have fun on this? Uh, and sometimes we kind of dump that and uh, and we... We, we say, well, you need to pick something that you're going to make money, and it's that. Optics is, is something that people usually uh, come from that. It, it is cool, right? I want to play with lasers in the lab, so that's why I'm going to work on that lab in my university. That's why I'm going to pick physics or, or optics or some, something like that. And I think those are the ones that, uh, from the beginning, they stick with it, and, and uh, it's very difficult. Somebody that sees that passion then moves moves away. The other side, the ones that you're thinking about your opportunity in, in job market and all that, that's where I think when we make that fast transition between new technology in optics and, and real products, that's when you make that more visible. You make that, uh, you know, if you have that background, if you're working on that, you can create a LiDAR company for uh, the automotive industry and become really successful financially as well. I think those two things are could be important. I think we can help on those those two areas. I think the again we may, we talked a little bit about the work that OSA does and some other organizations too in helping the connection between academia uh, and industry. Uh, I think that is super important again to connect those two sides that I I described about the the third leg or the third uh, uh, the third pillar here with government is because some technologies, some early stage technologies, there is a longer incubation period until they become useful or cost effective or whatever uh, area they go. And that's where government and strategic programs uh, are super important to fund that and to bring that to a to a stage where then the private sector can uh, can invest and do that. I think we saw that in the uh, space program. Uh, I think we're going to see that uh, in in quantum computers and quantum communication. That's becoming uh, that's 
again, talking about quantum communication just for a second, right? This is something that's right there, exactly in between something that's extremely fundamental, extremely in the science domain right now, right? People are still discovering what can be done, what cannot be done, and what can be practical, cannot be practical. And at the same time, all the, all the discussions that are happening about, you know, network security and privacy and ability to communicate, uh, uh, in a secure way, um, brings quantum communication to the realm of of a real product or of a reality that is going to be in our lives uh, pretty soon. When you add quantum computers to that, you see that, well, when quantum computers become more readily available, classical cryptography, classical encryption may not be that secure anymore. So you're going to need some sort of quantum encryption, quantum uh, cryptography, and that's where quantum communications becomes uh, interesting. So this is a, it's an interesting example of something that is extremely fundamental and can be super real sometimes soon. Those are things that usually bring the young brains uh, a lot of interest, right, and a lot of uh, excitement. It's something cool, and it's something that can be important. So I think that is, uh, that's how we can help making those things a little bit more clear, right, and demystifying a little bit the the science, demystifying a little bit, not hiding the beauty of the science, but making sure that people understand that that is, that is something that can be real in their lifetime. You touched on it uh, a moment ago, and it's something, too, that we've touched on with our guests uh, in previous episodes of All Things Photonics. And that's looking at uh, electronics, for example, and seeing the evolution of technologies in that realm and then sort of being able to forecast uh, what's happening now in in the photons time. Uh, And we've done it through a a more materials lens and maybe a supply chain lens. We've talked about graphene in the past on the podcast and and, and silicon as well. Um, But when you're communicating with government, when you're talking about technologies such as quantum that are right there – now, what's, what, I'm, I'm curious what the message is to government, because obviously there's a ton of potential, but you have to go in, I would imagine, with, with a little more than that. I'm just wondering what might be the message that you're conveying when you're trying to play up the significance of these technologies. Yeah, well, <laughs> and it, I have to be honest, right? It's not easy. Uh, <laughs> and I've been in some of those discussions. Uh, it's not easy. So a big part of that is educational, right? A, a big part of that is, is making sure that people have the, the true understanding of the challenges that we have, of the boundaries of different technologies. There are things that, uh, for instance, people are used to a different technology to solve a type of problem. And if you're not well-educated, if you don't know exactly what's going on, you may just assume that that solution or that technology uh, is enough for to solve that kind of problem forever. Uh, so that's a piece of the education that you have to show. You have to show the limit. Instead of only talking about optics or photonics in the cases where you're going to talk, usually you have to start by talking about the, the limitations of the boundaries of other technologies that are solving that problem today. I just, I just mentioned the, you know, classical encryption versus quantum encryption, for instance, right? You need to show that, hey, look, yes, classical encryption is working today, but this is what can happen once quantum computers are available, and then what's the next way that you're going to solve this problem, perhaps with quantum communication? Same applies for other things, right? You think about 5G, for instance. Uh, 5G is, uh, is one of the buzzwords that everybody talks about, and every, everybody thinks about wireless. Well, when you look into the amount of wireless and the amount of optics that goes under the 5G umbrella, I would argue that there is more optics there than actually wireless. At the very end of the network, you got an antenna, and that connection to your mobile or to your car is wireless. The infrastructure for 5G behind the scenes, 
uh, actually never been more optics there. I think the, the wireless network was never as optical <laughs> as it's going to be when you when you move to 5G. And that's a combination of many things. It's a combination of, well, you're going to have more bandwidth in 5G. And guess what? You can only achieve that if you have all your antennas connected um, uh, with uh, with optics, with an optical signal coming to the antenna, then, well, if you want that that high bandwidth in the wireless domain, you're going to have to go to higher frequencies, right? So that we keep hearing about millimeter wave and things like that. Well, guess what? Millimeter wave doesn't propagate that far as low frequencies. So then your antenna needs to be even closer to the user. So now the optical signal needs to propagate even more. Then you think about all the new services and all the new all the new data that is flowing through the 5G network, and you go to the core of where those data is coming from, and it's from data centers, major data centers, data centers, hyperscale data centers with more than 100,000 servers in a single building. And when we look into the latency and we look into the interconnectivity that you have to build into those data centers, pretty much every single server is connected to another server through an optical link. And that is also because those data centers, they are not, they don't look anymore like they used to look in the past, like, uh, you know, a storage, uh, a farm, right? Where you, uh, you want to see your bank account is the store in one of the drives there and the data center is just that. Now a data center is a supercomputer, right? It's a, it's a supercomputer. Those servers are always doing AI algorithms and, and machine learning and, and getting information from different places and creating a totally new set of data as you are querying for this data, right? You, people give the example that when you look into your friend's Facebook page, whatever picture he put there with the tag, all those things are in different servers. And when you click to look at that page, that information is coming from different servers and creating that page in front of you at that time. And if you click again a minute late, it's going to bring the information from other servers. So that creates a, a need for interconnectivity that needs to be fast, it needs to be low latency. And by the way, you can do that only with optics and optical signals and photonics. So I think that's what you need to do, right? It's not only about talking about optics. It's talking about, A, world is changing. The way that's changing is eliminating some other solutions that we had in the past that were just fine, but they don't work anymore. Your DSL line is not enough for you to to have your three kids uh, having uh, online classes, right? We talk about the pandemic at the beginning. So you have to show that. You have to show the limitations of non-optical or non-photonic technologies first to then show that that's the right tool to solve that problem. And I think that's not unique to optics and photonics. I think it's for all for all new areas. And I think the one thing that's happening with optics and photonics is that the optical community, academia, industry, we are becoming more relevant, right? The, the relevance of optical technologies in general, it's growing fast. I mentioned LIDARs, right? And, and um, again, autonomous vehicles, when you think about uh, maybe LIDARs and cameras and all that will be super important for that. We talk about healthcare and optical diagnosis and other optical technologies for healthcare is becoming more and more important. Telecom uh, and all those things, right? So we are just becoming more relevant. And I think that uh, what I noticed, you asked specifically about talking to the government, it was more difficult a few years ago. It was more difficult to justify. It was more difficult to convince people a few years ago. I think because of this increase in our in the relevance of the optical industry, the optical community in general, those conversations are becoming simpler. And we can see not only here in the United States, the U.S. government, but many governments around the globe, they are paying more and more attention to this community and to this technology. 
want to ask a question now that pivots the conversation a little bit, and I hope it it takes advantage of some of the optical biases that you've outlined for us earlier. And you know, we're, tremendous focus right now on the performance capabilities of optical fiber technology and, and enhancing those capabilities. Um, I'll reference some recent advancements from the University of Southampton. Uh, demonstrating the ability of of new hollow core designs to withstand very high lasing intensities uh, to the point that those fibers are performing much the way a, a solid glass design might. Um, also a demonstration of the ability of NAMFs to stabilize resonator fiber optic gyroscopes, which certainly have some interesting applications in defense and directed energy. Um, with all that taking place, I'm hopeful that you can identify some additional trends in optical fiber research that we might be uh, smart to keep on our radars. So, well, the one that you mentioned is, is for sure a pretty interesting one. The folks in Southampton, right, uh, Professor David Richards from uh, Poletti, of course, David Payne, they have been working on this for a while, and uh, and they have been doing a fantastic job, and they just, as you said, presented some results recently that are pretty nice, uh, reducing the attenuation of holocore fibers, the, the anti-resonant, right, the name for anti-resonant fibers. It, it is... Um, Hollow core fibers, uh, it's not new. Hollow core fiber is something that people have been working for a while. The anti-resonant approach that they have been working uh, more recently is actually pretty interesting, unique, new. And of course, the entire community is excited about that work. There would be some concerns or issues when you think about, and, and, and when I say concerns and issues, I don't want to say anything negative. I think the work that they are doing, the work in this space is fantastic. We are doing something as well, and I think the industry will all play in this space. Uh, the challenge there, it will move um, uh, quickly at some point. Again, I, I was talking about bringing fundamental to practical application as fast as possible before, right? Uh, we can apply to this case. When you work in fi fibers of that type, if you think about the uh, field installation and, um, you know, installation in open spaces or for, for telecom applications, that's where some of the challenges will be to make the, the system robust, make the system easy to install, making the system independent of contamination and other things. But those are engineering problems in my view, right? Those are not fundamental problems. Uh, fundamentally, the this, this solution works. Now the community, again, that needs to get together and, and start collaborating to solve the engineering problems to bring that to, to reality. I'm making this just to make a hook to the to your actual question, like what's coming uh, or what is the key challenge right now, other things, other trends in, in fiber. I would say there are two major uh, major trends. One is in the how, what is the most efficient way of increasing the overall capacity? And, and it's a tricky uh, situation because the capacity of an optical fiber is already humongous, is already huge. But... Even with that capacity, we see today cases, uh, I mentioned data centers recently, there are cables in data centers interconnecting buildings in the same campus of a data center that in a single cable you have more than 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 fibers in one single cable connecting buildings. And you've got problems there in terms of, okay, how can I, uh, how can I make that more efficient? You can play with uh, different ways to transmit the optical signal in those fibers to increase the capacity. You can play into reducing the density or, or, I'm sorry, increasing the density of that cable. And you can do that with smaller fibers. You can do that with multi-core fibers, so several cores into the same fiber. You can do that with a few molded fibers or transmitting several modes into the same fiber. So that's one of the trends, right? How can I put more data, more information to the cable, not in the fiber itself, but in the cable? So you can play with either 
different amount of fiber or more bits uh, in each one of, of the fibers. That's one of the key areas that the industry is working on. The other one has to do with that practical implementation. If you ask a carrier, uh, a network carrier, right, a service provider today, what's your number one nightmare? What's your number one problem that you have today? I think several of them will tell you, well, it's a permit to deploy cables, is ability to deploy uh, optical fiber fast and everywhere that I want. I want to put more fiber in the ground, but it takes too long sometimes because of permits, because of ability to dig holes in the ground to deploy the cables. And so there is a lot of work coming from the industry to make those things simpler, easier, faster to deploy. Uh, I would argue that for some specific applications, it's probably easier today to deploy optical fiber than to deploy a copper cable. Believe it or not, but it is in some cases. Uh, and more work is happening to that, into that domain. How can we make this optical technology that is much newer than a copper wire, is much newer than a copper connector? How can I make that simpler, easier, cheaper, that the field installation crews can actually deal with that in a way that they don't even know that that's a piece of glass there, that they don't even know that there is a an optical fiber there or that there is a laser connected to that. It's just something like a, a regular cable that they deploy in other places. So I think those are the two major areas that the industry has been working on. Of course, I'm talking specifically about fiber. When you look into the other optics and photonics elements that will enable all that, then there's a lot of other cool stuff. Um, one that I have a particular interest on is uh, when you think about nanophotonics or, or nanosurfaces, very, very small uh, elements in surfaces that can, you can basically replicate most of the optical components that you have in bulk to them, lenses and splitters and wavelength selectors and all that, that today are bulk components. You could do that in a micro scale and miniaturize things and automate things and actually handle the optical signal in a totally different way. That's That's one that too early, but I think it's probably poised to be one of the major transformations that we're going to see in this industry uh, in the next few years. Our guest is Senior Vice President of Technology. He's also CTO of Corning Inc.'s optical communications sector, Claudio Mazzali. Uh, I want to end with a, a question that I think is of particular interest to our listeners and also the readers of our magazines. We talked a lot about applications, and, and rightfully so, but I think it's important that we not get ahead of our, ourselves. And I want to ask, what's the message? What should our listeners and readers know about the current state of the supply chain with regards to optics and photonics manufacturing? If you're asking for a message, I think that we are collaborating, and I think that needs to increase even more. I think we are in a phase right now where different parts of this ecosystem, uh, the ecosystem of optics, in optical communications and in other areas as well, I think we're going to all win together with with even more collaboration. I'm not saying that we have a problem there. I'm saying that this is actually, I feel good where we are in terms of uh, companies and academia and others being open to collaborate more. But I think we're going to need to accelerate this evolution. And that's how we're going to make this community and this industry even more relevant, as, as I said. And I just, my message is that we need all to be open for that. Uh, more collaboration di among the different players. That's how we're going to help each other solve the problem. We are not in a moment where one element of the ecosystem can solve the entire problem. We're going to have to work together and making sure that we look at the problems that we have to solve from different perspectives in attacking that problem from different sides. And that's how we're going to all help each other. It's almost the, the, the theory of the commons thing, right? Don't, don't try to hide your, uh, your tricks and, and try to solve the problem yourself. 
I think we all be in a better situation and the entire society will be in a better situation if we collaborate even more. I don't think we're far from that. But if there is one thing that I would like to see even more, that's what I would like to see even more in the, in the supply chain and ecosystem. Claudio Zali has been our guest today. Claudio, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. It was great. That does it for this episode of All Things Photonics. Thank you to our engineer, Alan Shepard, and to Joel Williams with the news. Our featured music is courtesy of betterwithmusic.com. Most of all, thank you, our listeners. As always, you can share your thoughts, pick us ideas, let us know how we're doing. You can reach us at allthingsatphotonics.com. All Things Photonics is available on all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as on our website. Subscribe, never miss an episode. I'm Jake Saltzman. This has been a Photonics Media Production.